How's everybody doing? Happy Sunday. Go Niners. Can I get a what, what? An amen. Come on, come on now. I don't even care. I came up into Texas country, a 49er fan today, and I came to bring it. And we can pray after if you disagree with the Niners winning. I think they're going to beat the doors off the Cowboys tonight. <sighs> All right, I got 33 minutes and 55 seconds. I got to go. Is that my time? Is that my real time? Okay. Whew. How's everybody doing? Aaron does this when he comes to preach for me. I'm kind of curious. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it real quick here. Hey, by the way, when, I just want to say for the record, when Aaron gets up here to introduce me, he's like crying. There's snot bubbles. He's like, this is the greatest man in my life other than my father, you know, whatever. Erica gets up here and is like, hey, it's your first time here. It might not be your best experience. So come back. Come back. And so this is so true. If you're here for the very first time and you hate me and you're a cowboy fan, just come back next week. You know what I mean? It's all good. So anyway, great to be here with you. I do consider this just my favorite church other than my own. I mean, I love you guys. I've been preaching here since the beginning. And then again, they were mentioning, I've known Pastor Aaron since he was 19 years old. And so go back and think about how dumb you were when you were 19, right? And so I just, I just again, he was, as a matter of fact, the reason why I think Rise Church exists today is because he walked in I was a youth pastor. It was a Wednesday night. He walked in in a three-piece suit and a Rod Parsley Bridge Builder Bible. Anyway, I don't even know what that means, I don't think. And I'm like, I'm in like jeans and a t-shirt. I'm a youth pastor. I'm like, what are you, what is, who is this weird person coming up in a church? And man, I just, uh, I, I love this couple so much. And they were dating really since the day I met them and, and, and been together ever since. And um, so just wonderful. Can I just say how proud of you I am? Because I don't always get to say this, but like when you know somebody at 19, you're like, whew, this could be rough. You know, you, know, you just... You're, they're 19, you know, but, but to think about the man that you've become, um, the woman that you've become, the husband, the wife, the leader, the pastor. So can you give these guys just some love? If you appreciate your pastors. I might, I might tell more of that story. I, I didn't plan on it, but I did. Hey, we, we're in a series right now. This is an amazing series, and I'm going to dive right into it and speak into it. Like, what are, what are we here for? What are we here to do? And I'm going to give you something that I believe is absolutely essential. You cannot live an abundant life without doing what I'm going to tell you to do. I'm just, I promise you, you can do everything else you want, but if you don't do this, you will not live an abundant life. You will have something in your life that's just a little bit lacking. And so let's talk about just where we've been on this journey. If you look, we talked about week one, like you're made for a relationship with God. That is, that is just necessary. Like you're made to connect with your creator. Not only that, you're made for fellowship. God made you in such a way that not only do you need and are dependent upon a relationship with him, he made you, because think about what God said in the beginning creation story. The first time he uses some type of negative word, he says, it is not good for man to be alone. Like you, we, he made us to need each other. We need fellowship with one another. Not only that, we need discipleship. We need to go into that next level of saying, I don't want to just kind of follow from a distance and casually for me to get the most out of life. I got to go all in. I need to become a disciple. But this last word that we're going to jump on today, not the last word, but today, everybody say ministry. This is where we're going today. The ministry, the idea, watch this. I'm gonna read a great scripture for you. Uh, I should get some good amens out of this. This is such an incredible scripture. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ Jesus, he is a new creation. Can I get an amen to that? The old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God 
who reconciled us to himself through Christ and then gave us the ministry of reconciliation. He goes, you know that thing where I brought you in and I brought you close and I, I, I gave you love and connection and fellowship and I want you to do that for the whole world. And here's why, and my Lord, this should touch your heart. This is the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. That's the part I look at my life, I'm like, thank God for mercy. Thank God for that. So let me get in on what you're doing, God. If you're going to be that good to me, let me be that good to the world around me. I want to be in on this thing called ministry and serving other people and making a difference as just a human being. And let me just tell you this. This is a human thing. This is not a Christian thing. This is a human thing. Now, everybody should cross that line of faith and say yes to Jesus or you won't experience the fullness that life has. But even as a non-believer, I experienced this. So check this out. When I was 15 years old, I was horrible. I was a horrible young person. I mean, smoking, drinking, dating girls that chew, you know, all the things that you shouldn't do. Um, I mean, I mouth like a drunken sailor, just a horrible, wretched teenager. Just whatever you picture as an awful teenager, that was me. And I, so, but my parents drug me to church every week, which every parent, you should do that. Drag your kid to church. There's little seeds getting sown there. Just keep dragging them. And, and so, I, so my parents took me to church, but I had no faith in God. And I was an awful little kid. And so my mom tried to get me to go on my youth group's missions trip. They were going to go rebuild homes in Savannah, Georgia in the middle of summer. You ever been there before? This is back when they had the paper mills and it smelled like garbage all day, right? And in just hot, humid southern Georgia. And my mom's like, I really want you to go on this missions trip. It's going to be amazing. And I'm like, oh, what does a teenager want to do with this summer? Not go rebuild homes for poor people. That's what, that's what wretched teenagers don't want to go do. And so I'm like, all right, well, I'm going to go work on these houses and build. I'm like, well, how much are they going to pay me? And she goes, Nothing. She goes, actually, it's going to cost you 500 bucks to go. And I was floored. I was like, this is the dumbest idea I've ever heard in my life. Let me, I, I literally said this to my mom. I said, mom, this is stupid. You, you mean to tell me that you want me to pay to go do work? This don't make no kind of sense. And she goes, well, don't worry. I'll pay, I'll pay for it. I'll pay for it. Just go. And I remember being this reluctant teenager, but I show up and I start meeting people and I start working on these homes and I start, I start rebuilding with my friends this, uh, this little tiny black woman who's in like her 80s and she can't move. She's in a wheelchair and she is the sweetest and kindest woman in the world. And I'm up there in the blistering sun, just sweating bullets, rebuilding her roof because she literally had her roof fallen in on her. And I remember looking into her eyes and I remember feeling such compassion and such love and I looked at what I was doing and my heart broke and I was sitting there thinking like, I get it. I'm not, this is not about Jesus. This is about looking into the eyes of humanity and saying, what is it like to give to somebody who could never pay me back anything in return, even if they wanted to? What does it mean to give life and dignity to human beings to say, I love you and I care and I want to make sure that your needs are met? Like, that's a powerful human experience that everybody needs to have. You were, my point is this this is not a thing that's hardwired into your Christian faith, although it is. This is in your genetics. This is hardwired into your DNA. God made you for this. Somebody say amen if you felt that before. You're made for this. And the world teaches the opposite. The world is about consumption, right? Like it's how much can I get? 
How much can I assume? What are you consumed? What are you doing for me? And the world takes you down this pathway where it's like, you need this to be happy. You need this to be happy. You need to go here. You need to have these things. You need to have these experiences. We're on social media looking at everybody's highlight reel and wishing that we could eat what they're eating. Stop posting your food, please. I don't, I don't know why we do that. That's weird, you know? Um, so so we, you know, we're, we're constantly looking at whatever, and we just want to become consumers. And, and here's the thing. Have you noticed it doesn't work? Because the most prosperous nation to ever hit planet Earth, America, leads the world in antidepressants. So our ability to consume is not working. Our ability to consume more and more doesn't satisfy the soul. It doesn't work that way. As a matter of fact, there's, how many are old school? Remember the Twilight Zone? Remember Twilight Zone? Kind of creepy, freak you out a little bit every once in a while. There's this episode of the Twilight Zone where this mean, awful, terrible guy who's like a, a bank robber in the middle of a bank robbery gets into a shootout with the cops and he gets shot and he dies and goes into the afterlife. Did anybody see this episode? It's a good one. So he's, he goes into the afterlife and he's greeted by a man, this handsome man in a white suit. And he's like, well, let me show you around. He takes him to a penthouse and he goes, all this is yours. And you're like, wait, what's the catch on this? And so, you know, the guy's like, hey, what do you like? Everything here is free. What, what, what would you, and so he's like, anything, everything? He goes, how did I get in here? Why am I here? I don't understand this. This, this is crazy. Why, why, why would you give me all this stuff? And so the guy starts ordering up food and, and alcohol and, and women. And he's just, he's just having the time of his life. And he goes, well, let's get out and go hit the town. So then he go hit the town and he goes, hey, do you have a casino? And so the, the guy in the white suit takes him to a casino. He rolls the dice, he wins. He rolls the dice, he wins. Every game he plays, he wins. Everything he asks for, he gets. Everything he wants, he consumes. And after just a couple of weeks of this experience, it starts to drive him crazy. And he finally turns to the man in the white suit and says, I don't like this place. This is not any fun, I don't wanna be here. He goes, I don't think I really want to be in heaven. I want to go to the other place. And the man in the white suit says, this is the other place. A life of consumption is hell. A life of consumption produces that around you. A life of that lacks meaning. Keep consuming. And what happens is you keep moving your baseline for what actually makes you happy or content. You keep moving that thing because you keep consuming. And I'm just going to quote some radical words here. I stole this from Jesus. He said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Did he know something? Did he understand the human hardwired DNA, the genetic, the makeup? Did he, did he understand something? That a life of consumption doesn't actually work. You need more than that. And so Jesus, Jesus gives this to his disciples. This is his greatest sermon illustration. He gives it to his disciples right before his cross and resurrection. In John chapter 13, it says this. It says that Jesus, he knew that the Father had put all things under his power, that he had come from God and was returning to God. Now, that's, a, that's an important statement. What this statement is saying this is that Jesus walked up in that room and he knew he was the most powerful man in the room. He's like, I know. I know who I am. I know who God is. I know how this whole thing, I'm the most powerful person in the world. What do you do when you're the most powerful person in the world? What do you do? Do you leverage it for consumption? What do you, what do, you do? Let me show you what Jesus does. 
He said, so he got up, the most powerful man in the room, the most powerful man in the world, the most powerful man in existence. He got up from the meal, took his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist, and after that he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. What does he do? When he's the most, because see, sometimes you're the most powerful person, most influential person in your family or in your team or on your job or whatever it is. What do you do with that? Jesus shows you. This is how you change the world. You don't consume. You don't leverage your power for personal gain. There's something more, so much bigger in play here. He begins to wash his disciples' feet. Now, what he says after is the lesson. Remember, this is the illustrated sermon, but the lesson that he's about to teach is so profound, and this is what he says. It says that when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes, returned to his place, and he goes to his disciples. He goes, hey, do you understand... Do you know what just happened up in here? Do you understand what I've done for you? He said, you call me teacher. Everybody say teacher. teacher. He said, you call me Lord. Everybody say Lord. Lord. Ooh, that's right. You, sh- you should do that. That's what I am. And now that I, your Lord, everybody say Lord. Lord. And teacher. Everybody say teacher. teacher. Have washed your feet. You also should wash one another's feet. I've set this as an example that you should do just as I have done. And then very truly, everybody say very truly. If you're King James, you can say verily, verily. You know what I mean? Like this is one of those, okay, so anytime Jesus says a verily, verily, he's saying this is the point. You ready for his verily, verily? Verily, 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 truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one that sent him. Now, he doesn't actually give you the implication. It's as if he sets a premise and then winks at you. Turn to your neighbor and wink at him. Let me, let me read it again, and then you wink at the end. Are you ready? Watch, this is how it goes. Very truly, I tell you, no servant. He goes, no servant's greater than the master. You'd agree with that, right? No, yeah, of course, of course. Nor is the messenger greater than the one who sent him. We're like, no, no, no. You see what I'm saying? You go, he goes, who's the master in this room? They're like, you, Jesus. Who's the teacher in this room? They're like, you, Jesus. They're like, is the student ever greater than the teacher? Like, no, of course not. That's ridiculous. Get it now? Watch this. This is what he did. What he did was so brilliant. What did he just get done doing? Washing their feet. In their time and custom and day, the worst job you can have in the house. You know what the worst job in my house is? The worst job in my house is picking up poop in the backyard. That's the lowliest job. Next is taking out the garbage. Is that, is that pretty accurate? Other than that, it all gets better from there, right? And so like, if, if you come to my house and I'm like, hey, do you mind running out and, t- and picking up the dog poop? I don't like you very much. I'm just gonna let you know that right now. If you ever come to my house and I do that, I've never done that before I have my pastor here. I've never done that to you. I make my children do that. But, <laughs> but my, point is, my point is that the lowest job in the house, the lowest job on the totem pole of hierarchy and authority. Now, who had the most authority and the most power in the room? That was not a trick question. Everybody should know this is a church. The answer is always Jesus. Everybody say Jesus. Jesus. So who's the most powerful person in the room? Jesus. But he takes the lowest position possible, and he goes, now, wait a minute. I just did this job, right? And they're like, yeah. And then he goes, are y'all greater than me? And they're like, no. See what I'm saying? You ever heard in like corporate terms, like in, in corporate business world, they're like, he raised the bar. 
He raised the bar. He raised the standard of excellence. This guy's just raising the bar around here of how much he gets done and accomplishes or excellence or whatever. Jesus, so you can raise the bar with excellence. Jesus does the inversion. He lowers the bar with humility. He's like, watch this. I'm the most powerful man in the universe. Watch this. I'm gonna take the worst job possible. I'm gonna set the bar so low through humility so that for the rest of eternity, we can never utter the phrase, that's beneath me. You ever look at a job in your house and be like, I'm not doing that. That's beneath me. You ever look around the church and be like, I'm not doing that job. That's beneath me. Jesus is like, I'm the master and I lowered the bar so that we can all say, can we all say this together? Everybody, let's just say this together. Nothing is beneath me. Say it again, everybody say, nothing is beneath me. If I honor Jesus at all, there's nothing but there is no job that somebody could ask you to do in this church and that you would turn and give them side eye. Turn your nose up a little bit. Be like, ugh. Why? Because Jesus set the bar so low. He's like, trust me, in this life, there is nothing beneath you when it comes to what I'm willing to do to serve people around me. That's the power. And Jesus said, this is how you change the world. You outgive, you outlove, you outserve. This is how you change the world. This is my last illustrated sermon, and y'all are about to go change. Y'all are about to go flip the world upside down. And you know how you're going to do it? You're going to outlove them, you're going to outgive them, and you're going to outserve them. And that's the way that you change the world. This is what you were made for. Literally, I believe this with all my heart that Christianity is the soul of humanity. You are the thing holding this whole world together. And you know how you lead? You know what you do when you're the most powerful person in the world? You pick up a towel and a bucket and you say, how can I serve the world around me? Because it is not about a power grab for Christianity. It is not about how much I can gain. It is about how much I can give away. It's about how much I can serve. That's how you live a fulfilled life. Yeah, give the Lord a big hand clap. So Jesus literally shows you, this, I'm showing you this as an example. This is the way. And then if you could go back to, the, to, to John chapter 13, the very last line, verse 17 says this. Now that you know these things, You'll be blessed if you do them. The word blessed there, literally just kind of the word happy, fulfilled, not like worldly happiness, but like legitimate fulfillment, contentment, and happiness in life. You know, the reason why we're so not content in life is because we have bought into the world of marketing and advertisers that said we would have to consume to be happy. And Jesus, no, 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 you got to give to be happy. You gotta serve to be happy. This is an upside down world. And again, I think I've made a pretty good case that again, constant consumption just never leads to an abundant and fulfilled life. And so Jesus said, this is the way you live. This is the way you change the world. This is how you find abundant life. This is how you literally express your humanity of what you were truly always meant to be. So in light of that, I want you to kind of consider that, that Jesus has modeled for you. As a matter of fact, I want you to think about this. Jesus actually defined serving as greatness. If you don't believe me, there's a story. If you maybe read the Bible and, and come across this story, there's a story where the disciples are arguing about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. Does anybody remember this? James and John got their mother involved. Like that's how much they were all in a power grab. Who's going to sit at your right hand, Jesus? Who's going to sit at your left? And mom gets involved, and she's doing some politicking for kids, and and you know it gets it gets real messy for a minute there, and the the disciples start arguing over because they find out that James and John got mom involved, and now they're just. They're all fussy and angry with each other. 
and Jesus, if, if, now listen, this is what I would have done and I would have been wrong. I would have gotten in there and rebuked them for being a bunch of snotty little bratty kids, right? I'd have rebuked them for being on a power grab. I would have rebuked them and maybe even rebuked them for their ambition to just to, to, to achieve greatness. And Jesus doesn't do that. He does something so interesting. He does not rebuke their desire for greatness. He defines what greatness is. And then says, yes, I want you to be great. Yes, I want you to be ambitious for greatness. Let me tell you what greatness is. Greatness is in your level of serving other people because the greatest servant is the greatest of all. He goes, That's, that is greatness. And so if you ever, see some of us in life, we were told to go be great. And so we thought we would be great at a thing. So when we're little, we're trying to be great at baseball. Or then we're in school, we're trying to be great at school. And then we get a job, we're trying to be great at our job. Jesus isn't trying to get you to be great at something. He's trying to get you to be great like greatness itself. Because no matter what you do or where you're at, you can have greatness all on you as you serve people around you. So Jesus said these words, and, I, and, then, and then here's the thing. He's gifted you for this. This is what you were made to do, but he didn't just say you're made to do this. He goes, I'm gonna empower you and gift you to do it. Let, let me help you out real quick here. First Peter chapter four, verse 10. It says that God has given gifts to each of us from his great variety of spiritual gifts, manage them well so that God's generosity can flow through you. And so God has given you, I just want you to know, like God made you for serving. It's a part of your whole plan for how you live life. It's God's plan for how the church is to change the world. But he goes, I've even gifted you for this. And so here's what I need you to do. I'm gonna get real practical here. Like so many of you have gifts and talents and abilities that are being unused right now. And for this church to thrive, I need you to go all in. For you just to feel abundant and fulfilled in life, I need you to go all in here. I need you, actually what I want you to do is this, I really want you to discover your shape in life. So shape is what I wanna teach you for the next couple of minutes here. Because you were made for this. I, I need you to figure out what you were made for and then just go all in on doing it. So many of you are gifted and talented. Did you know this? I read this the other day. I thought it was weird. Do you know that the average American has at least about $300 in unused gift cards in their home right now? How many of y'all are guilty right now? You got some unused gift cards? I keep mine in my car. Check this out. They, they tracked, and just in the last six years, do you know how much money is in unused gift cards in America right now? It's $41 billion. $41 billion. And we're sitting there thinking like, well, I could use that. I mean, I could do something with that. I could. See, that's what, see, sometimes pastors look at their congregation and you're like, that's 20 bucks to Target, and that's 50 bucks to Home Depot, and that, that's, that's $100 to Ruth's Chris, and, you know, and then every once in a while you get like, you know, like, that's Cold Stone, I probably shouldn't use that one, or, or do y'all have Cold Stone here? So anyway, so, so whatever it is, but like, you're a congregation of gifts and talents, but so many of them are these unused gifts that God actually wants to harness for his purpose. And again, it's not just for his purpose, it's for your blessing as well. And so I need you to like, mm, what, what's, what's on my gift card? What am I made up of? What is my, what's my shape, right? Now, shape is an acrostic. Are you ready? Shape stands for S-H-A-P-E. Okay, five things. Um, the first one is this your spiritual gifts. Like you need to know, like when you, when you step into faith, something is activated on the inside of you. You might not feel it. Some people are like, oh my goodness. Other people are like, I didn't know. So, but when you really say yes to Jesus, the Holy Spirit begins to activate certain things inside of you. You have giftings and the Bible talks about these. Some of them are like practical things, like the gift of administration. 
you love Excel spreadsheets. You have, your, you have your sock drawer organized by color or scheme or something. Like you just, you see the world through order and structure and we need you. I need you, right? I lose my socks. You have yours organized. We need each other to survive in life, right? There are supernatural gifts like healings and prophecy and tongues. There's the gift of encourage. And here's what a spiritual gift is. Because here's the thing about, if I say that there's a spiritual gift of encouragement, some people will be like, oh, well, I don't got that. Well, it could be that you're just mean. So that, <laughs> examine your heart, you know. Because here's the thing. The Bible commands every Christian to encourage. So every one of you are called to encourage. But some of you have the gift of encouragement. And that's where God puts a little mm-hmm on it, right? You got a little something extra, a little something special up on that thing. And I'll tell you why. Because people come up to me all the time and they'll try to say encouraging things. And I'm like, oh, I appreciate that. What's your angle? What are you in this for? What is your, what are you, what are you? I'm skeptical. Is anybody like me? Like you hear encouraging words and you're like, how much money do you want? What is this about? What are you, what are you really, what are you really getting at? Your encouraging words. But every once in a while, somebody will come up and encourage me. And I'll just be like, oh my God, thank you so much. It'll touch the deepest core of this Grinch's heart. You know, like that kind of thing. Like, so what's the difference? spiritual gift of encouragement takes what you ought to do and puts a little something special on top of it. And so again, no matter what that is, you need to discover what your spiritual gifts are. Here's H. H is your heart. Heart is just simply this. What are you passionate about? Have you noticed that when you get somebody talking about something that they're passionate about, you can't get them to be quiet. They just want to like, their words per minute goes up. They just start getting excited about it and they won't be, and you're like, they're, they're passionate. What are you passionate about? Sometimes your heart rate goes up. Be careful of this one. This is a good one to pay attention to is that sometimes your heart rate goes up because you're angry about something. And anger is a reflection of a seen injustice. And so you see something in the world and you're like, that ain't right. And you see injustice and it makes your heart beat and it makes you want to pound the table a little bit. That is your passion. Find out in any way and every way things that you're passionate about and things that align with your spiritual gift and move that direction. Here's A. A is for your abilities. Like, I don't, I don't have a ton, right? Like, but like, I know people that have, like, they're great at math. I know other people, they're great at music. There's some other people are great at building things. I have none of those gifts. They don't let me on the worship team. I never get to sing. So I don't have certain gifts, but like whatever yours are, you've just got certain abilities, things that you developed and cultivated skills that you learned. P is for personality. How many of you know like, we're not all, we're not all wired the same, right? We're, we're not, right? And so this is, some of y'all are like Eeyore. Some of y'all like Tigger. You know what I'm talking about, Tigger. Tiggers love doing Tigger things because Tiggers are the best at everything they do and just they're happy and whatever. See, what you want is like, if you're Tigger, I need you at the front door being Tigger to people. I need you to go and be happy and bounce around and love on people. And if you're Eeyore, I'm gonna give you some buttons to push is what I'm gonna do. I'm, don't talk to people, just smile and push buttons. I, I, I'm just kidding, but my, my point is that like, no, certain people are extroverted and outgoing and want to just, everybody they see is their new best friend. And some of y'all are not like that. And that's okay. I love you. I love them all. I promise you. But your personality, you got to figure out what kind of temperament God gave you. Because then you match your temperament with your abilities and then your personality with your spiritual gifts. And you're like, mm, I'm starting to find, I'm starting to find a little bit of a sweet spot right here. 
You ready? Last one is this, your experience. There are certain things that you've been through in life. I, don't, I can't relate to it. As a matter of fact, I remember being a young pastor and I remember trying to do funerals for people and I was trying to be empathetic and I was trying to be compassionate. I don't know that I was very good at it. And then I remember my dad died when he was only 65 years old and I was still in my 30s. My heart was broke and I'm crying and upset and I did every funeral after that differently. You can't teach empathy. You have to feel pain. Harness your pain for God's purpose. God will use it to change the world around you. Your experiences are powerful. There's places you've been, people you've talked to, things that you've, you've seen and felt. I need, I need those. I need, you to, I need you to go take your gift card and go swipe that thing. And I need you to say, I'm going all in. I'm leaving this life empty. I, when, when I die, this card is zero. I gave all of it. I gave my gifts, my talents, my ability. And guess what? Sometimes it's your, your time. Yeah, give the Lord a big hand clap. Sometimes your greatest ability is your availability. Like some of you have time on your hands. That time is a gift and that time is precious. And so your shape, spiritual gifts, personality, abilities, personality, I, I thought I couldn't spell for a second there. And then experiences. I skip heart, who even knows? Your shape is your sweet spot, right? Think about it. If I could dial in all five of those things, oh, you would be fantastic. You would be adding value at an incredible level. Everybody say, but. Sometimes you don't get in your sweet spot. Sometimes, like, like watch this. Think about it like this. Remember when God called Moses to go be the mouthpiece of God to the Pharaoh of Egypt? What was Moses' response? He's like, uh, you really have like, I have like a speech impediment, right? This is the dumbest idea in the world. Was Moses uniquely gifted as an eloquent communicator? Uh, no, he was not. No, he was not. So here's the thing. Sometimes God calls you to do things that's not exactly in your sweet spot. And that's okay. And so whenever you are not in your sweet spot, do whatever you can, whenever you can. As a matter of fact, James says that. He goes, if you know the good that you ought to do and you don't do that, that's like sin. Like, no, no, you had an opportunity to go do something. Whatever, whatever, whatever. Again, people get, people get so funny about serving because sometimes they get locked into their, their one thing that's in their sweet spot and they say, I'm either doing that or I'm not doing nothing, pastor. I'm not, I'm not doing that. And it's like, no, no, no. What I want to do is say, hey, whatever I can do, however I can do it, it doesn't even matter. Like some people are like that. You call them, you'll hit them up. Like children's ministry usually needs a little bit of extra, a little bump, right? Because you look at them snotty-nosed kids, little Petri dishes. You're like, I don't want nothing to do with that. And then the pastor or somebody leader is like, hey, what do you think about, we, we really need some help in kids ministry. And you're like, mm, mm, and we get religious about it. We use religious words to shield ourselves from a brutal reality. And we're like, well, I don't feel called. I don't really, I don't really feel called to that. Listen, give me your number. I will call you this afternoon. This is very easy. You will have been called by 3 p.m. today. I promise to the Lord Jesus, I will get you signed up. This will be no problem to have a calling over your life. So that's what we're talking about here is like, no, no, no. I'm called to serve and serving is how I change the world around me. Serving is how I change the world inside of my heart to say, no, no, I wanna be humble. 
I want to be a servant for my God. I, I, that, that's who I want to be on the inside. So it changes the world around me. It changes the world inside of me. It changes everything. This is what I was made for. I was called to serve. I'm at my best. I'm most fulfilled when I'm serving and certainly not consuming. And so what I want to do is, God, can you harness this? Here's the application. Three things I need you to do. Number one is this. Discover the shape that God has given you. I need you to like figure that out. Number two, develop the shape that God has given you. Like, don't just be like, oh, look, I, I can do this. No, go do it and then go figure out how to do it even better and more excellent. And then number three is you gotta use the shape that God has given you. You gotta use it. As a matter of fact, I'll give you the most practical thing ever. There is a, a, a class that we do here at Rise Church called Next Steps. How many of you have been through Next Steps before? How many of you glad you went through Next Steps and you're kind of connected and plugged and evolved and like, no, no, I'm a part of something bigger than myself. And so if you've never been to Next Steps, it's going on today. Is it during the second service? Like it's, look, look at this. I'll, you, give me your number. I'll call you right now. You'll have been called. And then you can go to next, I'm just telling you, and if not today, as soon as possible, get plugged into next steps because in next steps, you know what they're gonna help you do? They're gonna help you discover your shape. They're gonna help you discover your spiritual gifts and your personality is, and, and trust me, when you take the personality test, don't be afraid. Some of you are afraid of being test takers. The personality test does not determine if you have one or don't have one. It's just what, it's just what kind do you have? Hey, you're a beautiful human being and there's greatness inside of you. Can I tell you that? There's greatness inside of you. And the reason why you maybe don't feel as fulfilled and satisfied in life is you just learn, oh wow, I'm not hardwired into what God made me for. God, what God made me for was to serve. Because that's how I change my world. That's how I change the world inside of me, the world around me. That's how I change everything. I'll give you one last story. There's this great story of Dr. David Livingston. Dr. David Livingston was a famous physician, doctor, missionary in the 1800s and had accomplished so much as a medical missionary that near the end of his life, England wanted to bring him back so that they could honor his life. They were like, hey, this is one of our own and we wanna celebrate and honor him. And so they sent a messenger to go find him. He had been literally disappeared. He had been buried in Africa because they're like, literally like this is, white people weren't in Africa at all. And so finally when like, uh, his name was Morton, when Morton find him, he said, Dr. David Livingston, I presume. They were the only two white people within hundreds of miles. I mean, that was it. And, and and what he was doing, he was actually down in Tanzania trying to discover the origin of the Nile River and where it all began from. And so, but in that process, Morton said to Dr. Stanley, he goes, hey, you're old in age. You've got to come back with me. These people want to celebrate you. You are a national treasure. And he's like, no, I'm good here. I'm going to stay with my people in Africa. I'm going to keep healing and curing and helping and loving and preaching the gospel and spreading the message of Jesus. I'm just... I'm just gonna stay here. And sure enough, it wasn't just a few months later that he actually contracted malaria and died. And when England heard about it, they sent an envoy to go get his body. He's buried, his body is buried at Westminster Abbey next to kings and queens. But when they showed up in Tanzania and they tried to retrieve his body, the tribal people said, no, you're not taking his body, he's one of ours. And so there was this argument and this dispute. And so you know how they settled it? They surgically removed his heart and they buried it under a mulva tree right there in Tanzania. And they said, you can have his body, but his heart belongs to Africa. I want you to live a life where you bury your heart into something. Because it's the only way you leave a legacy. Yeah, it's the only way you make a difference. It's the only way you change the world. You gotta put your heart into something. I'm telling you what, there's, there's no better place than the, the local church the hope of the world. You bury your heart in that. You bury your heart in your family. You bury your heart in your relationship with God. And you say, you know what? I was not... I was not sent to this people planet to sit and consume or sit and do nothing. I'm here to change the world. 
the way that I do that is I outlove, I outgive, I outserve. I'm gonna put my heart into that. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? Heavenly Father, I pray that you would speak to your people right now. God, is there a, a thing that you've been stirring in them over these last 20, 30 minutes? Is there, is there a spiritual gift maybe that you're activating? Is there a passion that you're igniting? Is there a, a calling maybe that's being discovered? God, maybe it's just the realization that to meet the greatest need is just the best thing I can do at the time. What's the biggest need out there? What can I do and how can I do it? And so God, I pray, Holy Spirit, speak. Speak to your people in such a way that we know what our next step is. We know where to go next, but we know above all, we were made to serve. This is who we are. This is how we experience abundant life. We are called to make a difference. Lord, we believe that and we receive that in Jesus' mighty name. Together we all said amen. Can you give the Lord more time? Just a big hand clap. Thank you guys so much. God bless you.